like I said, I think we have been very intentional about this. And especially when it comes to our product experience, we, you know, nothing has made it into that, that product um, without us like testing it a hundred times over. And ultimately the, the local experiences concept, it, it sounds maybe pretty obvious that you can, you know, use your rewards points like every day and use them on things that you enjoy doing, but no one was really doing that. And certainly not with like the brands and the types of places that people actually enjoy shopping at or, or going to in the first place. So um, yeah, what looks like, you know, maybe the most obvious answer for us actually came at the end of sort of like probably a year's worth of research. I'm Eric Fulweiler, and this is Scratch, bringing you marketing lessons from the leading brands and brains rewriting the rulebook from scratch for the world of today. Hey, everyone. Awesome, awesome episode for you today. My guest is Tom Davies, who is the head of marketing at Credit Card Challenger brand here in the UK, Yonder. Tom has spent his career in his own words, quote, mostly annoying big banks, end quote, by building some of the most notable fintech products around like Monzo and Wise. He joined Yonder pre-product or pre-revenue, which is a fascinating bit of the conversation that we get into, to reinvent the relationship that we here in the UK have with credit cards. Yonder recently raised their Series A 62.5 million pounds. And more importantly, they've been on an absolute tear with their marketing, some amazing creative media guerrilla activations we double click on kind of how uh, tom and the leadership team there have built that culture within the company and also how they prioritize that to be able to put these pretty consistent wins on the board that is clearly driving the growth of the brand i do want to call attention to the fact tom is publishing a ton of awesome thought leadership content out there for marketers you should definitely check it out we'll link to his linkedin and also his Medium blog, you should definitely look at it. A couple of the other highlights for me, understanding the culture around your audience and the product that you're building for credit here in the UK. It's a very different thing from the US where I'm from. So hearing Tom's perspective on how they keep a pulse on that, I think is really interesting and relevant. The importance of kind of that connection between marketing and product and finding product market fit, driving innovation within the company in an early stage business and obviously Monzo, but now at Yonder, Tom has replicated that success about building and how to build a community around the brand, which I know a lot of people are thinking about. So I know you're going to enjoy, enjoy this episode. Please let me know what you think. Tom, what's going on? Hey, how are you, mate? Thanks for having me. I am good. Thanks so much for making the time. Really looking forward to this conversation. Obviously, I've been watching what Yonder has been doing and what you've been doing with the brand. And then, of course, in our prep call, learning that you were behind some of my other favorite fintech brands as well with Monzo and Wise. Really excited to pick your brain today. Thanks again for making the time. Yeah, no, no worries. I'm looking forward to it. Cool. So for people who haven't come across Yonder yet in the UK or for people who might be listening in other countries, can you just give a quick overview of what you're up to, what you're building with Yonder? Sure. Yeah. Yonder is a sort of millennials approach to a rewards credit card product. Um, we, yeah, I think in, in the UK, and we talked a bit about this in the prep call as well, Eric, around sort of perceptions around credit and, and in the UK, use of credit cards is actually not as prevalent as it is in places like the US. Um, and at Yonder, you know, we really believe that credit can be a really powerful financial tool. And then we wanted to build a product that could help bring young people back 
to using credit and using credit in a responsible way that can help them build their credit for the future. So we've uh, sort of designed a product that we think is complementary to you know people in London's lifestyles and eventually we'll be expanding to to new cities. But effectively, you know, we want to try and show that you can both get more out of your you know your lifestyle using our product and also build towards better financial futures using you know a credit card like Yonder responsibly. Awesome. All right. So before we get into what you're doing at Yonder and some of the learnings from past businesses and brands that you've helped build, icebreaker question that we ask every guest, can you tell us about one challenger brand that you're passionate about right now? Not your own, of course, another one. Yeah, it's a good one. I actually, I thought about this one a lot. You know, one of them was going to be Canva and then I was like, can it be a challenger brand if it's a $40 billion, you know, company? And then, um, I sort of settled on Webflow. Um, I don't know if you've ever used Webflow before. It's kind of a no, no code. Yeah, we use it as well. Um, and sort of going back sort of eight, nine years ago, I was working for a, a startup in Silicon Valley and we had this CEO sitting next to us. He came in and was like using some desk space in our office and we had gone through Y Combinator at the time. Uh, and I got chatting to this guy named Vlad and he was like, oh, I'm, just, I'm the CEO of a, of a new company called Webflow. You, you can build websites without using any code. And we ended up using it. Um, and this was back in 2014, 2013, something. Um, and it's just been so cool to see it grow into what it has become. Um, and if you think about as a marketer, the challenges you have to get content live on your website in older organizations, you need engineers, you need you know people to... Getting engineering time to, to build stuff on your website can be quite difficult. Um, and Webflow have just completely got rid of that problem and now... It's empowered marketers like me and, and, you know, designers and, you know, basically anyone that doesn't know how to build websites to get in and build really incredible experiences for users. And so, look, you know, Webflow is also a billion dollar company at the moment. And then I think um, to call them a, a challenger is, is maybe a bit of a stretch, but I think what they've done for the industry has been incredible. Um, they've really empowered marketers to to, you know, take control of one of their most important assets, which is, you know, your website. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. And I, I think that certainly sits in the challenger bucket. I mean, we, you know, we're trying to put some weight behind this term of a rival brand, which would be a challenger that has successfully changed the category that they operate in, whereas a challenger is attempting to. And so I'd say they're a challenger, maybe even a rival with where they're at right now, kind of leading that revolution in no code websites. All right. So, um, Let's dig into Yonder, your experience, your advice for other marketers listening. So I think the place that I want to start, which you touched on in, in the overview, is obviously a big part of what you are doing is you know building a product, a credit card product. But as an American who's now been in the UK for almost nine years, I think I have a very precise understanding of the differences of the culture of credit and credit cards in the US versus credit and credit cards in the UK. And from my perspective, you, of course, are going to have a much more nuanced perspective. Personal credit cards are just not really a thing over here. And the whole culture around points and rewards and all that stuff that for the Americans listening would be like, yeah, that's how I do all of my spending. Maybe even my rent, you know, my groceries, my car payment, all of it goes through credit for a lot of people in the U.S. Um, but over here, it's different. Of course, it exists, but it is not kind of the cultural anchor that it is in the personal finance market in the U.S. So... I guess my question is really how you go about driving that cultural change 
Um, but I think it's probably two parts to that question, which is in order to change it, you really need to understand it. And we talk a lot about, of course, building brands that are highly differentiated, but in order to do that, you really need a differentiated understanding of your audience and the culture that exists around them. So how do you build that differentiated understanding of the culture as it is right now in the UK? And then how do you go about trying to change it? Yeah, I think, um, I also spent sort of nine, 10 years in the United States as well. So similar to you. Uh, and, and I'm Australian too, so I've sort of had exposure in, in sort of a few different markets and, and to people's relationship with financial services. And so I think in terms of understanding it, we're very fortunate that the, you know, the founders of Yonder, a few Australians, Brits, we've got a very diverse team. And so I think just sort of internally in-house, we already had a lot of like very diverse opinions on the role that credit could play in people's lives. Our founder, um, Tim is Asian Australian and he sort of talks about like Asian cultures and having sort of concepts around like the shame around debt. And then you have the, you know, you can compare that to like the American culture around debt being seen as like a tool for achieving the American dream. Um, and maybe the UK and Australia is sort of sitting somewhere in the middle of, of those two cultures. And so we were hyper aware that there were different opinions and feelings, very emotional feelings. It's something I always tell people that working in financial services, there probably is no more emotional product in people's lives, really. You know, um, how you control your money is a really emotional thing. People, you think it's rational. It's not rational at all. It's a, or rarely is rational. Um, and then in terms of sort of like our marketing approach to that, we, my view is that it wasn't really optional for us to take that on head first. I think if we hadn't really address that early on, I don't think we would have seen some of the success that we've had so far because a big part of, you know, our brand strategy has been trying to take the things from big credit card brands that we like and we think they've done well and that might mean great customer support or, um, you know, being able to use your products around the world, whatever it might be, but then trying to be the opposite of all the things that they're not. Um, and so we know that there is this sort of visceral feeling around credit and debt in the UK where people see credit cards as being evil products designed to make banks a lot of money. And, you know, they've, they've got a point, I think for a long time, credit cards have been these cash cows that have had misaligned incentives with like the, the banks making them and the consumers using them. So a big part, a big part of the strategy for us was like, we, we just desperately wanted to make sure we were on the right side of that. Um, you know, I guess that, that conversation and that feeling for consumers, and that meant really putting ourselves in their shoes and saying, you know, we want to build this product so um, you can feel really comfortable getting to use it and getting to know and understanding how to use credit credit for your, um, you know, for your both your short term well being and that's like rewards and getting cash back and these benefits and those things and also longer term. So yeah, I think for us, we didn't really see it as optional. We had to do it. If we didn't, I don't think we would have you know really carved out that part of the market for us. I want to go back to the understanding and double click on that um, for a minute because. I'd, I'd like to understand a bit more tactically. So it sounds like kind of the founding team, you know, senior leadership team, you all come with different perspectives. You have a good pulse on the culture of this market versus other markets where the opportunity is. Um, you know, was that most of it in terms of the cultural understanding or, you know, do you run research? Do you kind of run campaigns where you have a hypothesis that you're testing? Because I think... Um, uh, you know, one of the one of the principles for me when it comes to kind of early stage or growth stage marketing is, of course, it's all about product market fit. And I think that marketing has a role to drive innovation and understanding of the market as well as distribution of the product. So I'm just kind of curious 
how you bring that to life. I know that we're going to talk about kind of the community that you built, and I'm sure that's a part of it. But what else are you doing kind of tactically or did you do in the earlier days, tactically, week to week, to really get that understanding of the audience into the business? Yeah, well, I mean, we sort of talked a lot about this because we really put in the hard yards and a lot of startups do. I'm not claiming to have been any sort of like more innovative in this area, but we we did something like 200, 250 user research sessions in our first sort of six months of product development. I, I joined right at the very beginning, you know, before there was any product. And so it was really me, um, uh, Craig, our designer and Tim, CEO. And, and between the three of us, we were just trying to work out what this product should look like. And, and we would have these interviews with people and we'd spend sort of half the interview just having a conversation about them. A lot of them were expats and, um, and then, you know, a bit about their life and then a bit about their financial life. And we would often hear them say things like, oh, I'd never use a credit card. You know, like, oh, they're, they're bad for you. And we'd sort of jot this stuff down. And and so in addition to building out the proposition around these people's lifestyles, which is what, you know, ultimately what became of Yonder, we also got a lot of really interesting tidbits around their perceptions of credit and different financial services. And often we would interview Americans and it would just be so different. We, they'd be like, I've got three credit cards. I've got one that I use for my petrol, one for my flights and one for my everyday shopping. I pay them all off in this way. And, you know, Americans have learned to use credit, um, to, you know, support and achieve their lifestyle. And, and uh, I think there is a much better understanding of probably like the, the good benefits of credit. Um, in the UK, I'd say, you know, maybe slightly more skeptical country in general. I don't know if the Brits would be against me saying that, but, um, I think, uh, probably like tend to maybe look a bit more on the like, well, you know, if you, if things go wrong, then having a lot of debt is is bad. And when I'm not sitting here to say that that's not the case, but I think we always say that debt is not good or bad. Credit is not good or bad. It is like fire and it can be used um, in good ways and in bad ways. And we're trying to get people to use it in what we think are the most beneficial ways for their sort of short-term and long-term goals. So one of the things that I know you're doing intentionally differently is uh, your approach and offering around rewards. And I'm guessing part of that came from, again, your shared experience uh, as a founding team, but also the research and kind of what you learned along the way. So can you unpack that for us? What is the approach that you've taken to rewards and why is that so important for how you want to build the business and grow the brand? It, it all came from our user research, this. I think there was certainly some common sense in there as well and that we didn't really want to go head-to-head with the likes of American Express or Avios in terms of a rewards program. We just didn't have the capital and the, the network to take that on um, that early. So we knew that sort of that like travel booking, flight booking space, we were probably going to park and we may never come back to it. We may, we may do so, but we wanted to try and look for some some open space that we could play in. And, and as we were having conversations with all of these people, they're like, yeah, I moved to London because I wanted to explore the best bars and restaurants. I like to travel around Europe. And when I'm not doing that, I like to, you know, go out and explore the city. I want to be a tourist in London and explore, you know, all of the areas that I would normally not do. You know, you've got a lot of people that move to London just purely to enjoy and be in the city that they're in. And so, as we had these conversations, more and more, we were think, starting to come up with this concept around like local experiences. And so we started out with dining. That was sort of our focus area for the first 12 months where we we really wanted to help people like get more out of their lifestyles while they're in London. And then when they're booking their flights and stuff, then, you know, go and use your, your other products. Um, and so we landed on the concept of like yonder experiences where you can use your points to get... Um, 
you know, fully paid meals at some of London's best restaurants. And we update and rotate those every month to six weeks. Uh, all of this sort of product experience was based on user research. People didn't want too many options. So we give them sort of, you know, we have a few more now, but we started off with like eight options a month. And then they, um, you know, they, they didn't want the points redemptions to be like really difficult to understand. And so we made it super easy, just slide it in the app and you can choose whether to use your points or pay normally. So, um, the whole experience has been, has come out of our research. One of the things I, I really like about what y'all are doing and I'm hearing it in this conversation, but then also just as a consumer and potential customer here in the UK, um, but it's great to kind of see behind the scenes is it seems to me like you've been very intentional and very strategic, not just about building a brand and building a great product, but having it be having there be a contrast against what exists in the market, point of difference, right? And we talk about that all the time when it comes to a brand, but it's just kind of standing out for me. So I kind of wanted to underline it for people listening. It wasn't just about, hey, we can build something cool. It was, we're going to build something cool and make sure that it is very differentiated compared to what's in the market. So um, I don't think there's really a question in there, but I just wanted to draw it out because it does seem like a lot of what I'm getting from you is like, you understood where you were, you understood where the market was, and you've like really driven a wedge uh, into that, which is great. Yeah, exactly. Like we, like, so I think we have been very intentional about this. And especially when it comes to our product experience, we, you know, nothing has made it into that, that product um, without us like testing it a hundred times over. And ultimately the, the local experiences concept, it, it sounds maybe pretty obvious that you can, you know, use your rewards points like every day and use them on things that you enjoy doing, but no one was really doing that. And certainly not with like the brands and the types of places that people actually enjoy shopping at or, or going to in the first place. So um, yeah, what looks like, you know, maybe the most obvious answer for us actually came at the end of sort of like probably a year's worth of research. So we talked in the prep call and you mentioned that you set out to build a brand that was quote unquote cool. I think most businesses try to do that. Very few succeed. It seems like you are at least so far. How do you go about doing that? How do you actually build a brand that's cool? What are some of your thoughts on that topic? Yeah, well, I mean, look, it's it's hard to know what is and isn't cool. I think um, we, I think the most important thing was we wanted to build a brand that felt relatable to younger people. And I think our view, maybe certainly my view, is that brands like American Express were built for our parents' generation, and they haven't done a very good job of adapting that sort of branding experience to younger people. And so we wanted to make Yonder all the things that, that Amex is not. We wanted to make it really approachable. We wanted to put our team front and center so people we could build trust with people because they could see the people actually building the product. Um, in terms of like how we actually, you know, got the visual and sort of tone and voice tone and all of those things, we Craig and I had spent a long time sort of developing this, you know, I, we sort of were trying to build a premium-esque brand. Um, and then one night I was sort of just sitting there pretty late at night, maybe midnight and sort of six months in, I was like, I hate it. Like, I hate it. I hate everything about it. I hate the way we're talking. I hate the imagery. I hate the design. Um, that's not a slide to Craig, by the way. It's brilliant if he's listening to this. Um, and so I just spent sort of two or three hours. I was like, I'm redoing everything. I rewrote everything. I rewrote um, our website and sort of was using that as as a proxy for feeding it into other brands. I took it back the next day and I showed it to some of the team and they're like, we love it. Like this feels like us. And I think the most important thing was it felt like a brand that um, would come naturally to the team. And I think if it, if it does come naturally to everyone, then actually it, the way that it 
grows and expands is much easier to control than like forcing a, we're a really premium brand and everything we do has to be like this and we can't have too much fun because we need to be serious and whatever. So ultimately we land on a brand that most people at Yonder can express in their own way. Um, and it feels like Yonder, even if it's coming from like a support team or if it's coming from the product design or if it's coming from someone in marketing. And, you know, I think that's probably the most important thing for us is that it, it feels authentic to us, the team building it. Um, maybe that helps because we're building people like us. And so we sort of knew that people really um, respond well to it, but we've had a lot of fun with it. We, when we launched, I sort of wrote this um, uh, sort of like manifesto that I made people sign when they were applying. And it was like, you have to bang on about this card to your mates. You have to hold it on the outside of your phone case on the tube. You have to just all these really silly things. And I got so many messages from people being like, this is hilarious. Like, you're, you're, you're sort of tapping into this sort of like undertone around like startups that really want brand ambassadors and you're just asking people to do it outright. And we started a lot of people early on really just related so so well to that type of brand. So whether I would call it cool or not is maybe up for other people to say, but I would say um, if nothing else, I think we've done a good job of making it feel relatable um, to our audience. Yeah. And I, I really want to come back to, you know, what's driven your ability to kind of have these consistent uh, wins buzz talkable moments with what you're doing and some of them are i guess call it more the realm of traditional marketing like some of the activations that you've done some of the ads that you've come up with but some of them are also just you know i think of it as like easter eggs things that are typically just a boring experience that you've kind of had this drive and this i guess capability creatively to kind of come up with interesting ways to do that so i, I do want to come to that but actually i want to just go back maybe like a minute because and you talked about this earlier on as well, and I'd just be really curious to have you elaborate. You know, you joined pre-product and you don't come from only marketing, you come from product marketing. So I'd just be curious the impact that you think that's had, the importance of that. And just to kind of put a little bit of my spin on it real quick and why I think this question is so important for people listening, whether or not they're in a later stage business or whether or not they're joining post-product or post-revenue, because I think that a lot of businesses, especially the more tech and engineering led businesses, think of marketing as the function that comes in after you built a product. You build something great and then marketing does its job to distribute it. And I think there is so much opportunity and you know, I know a decent amount about the origin story of Monzo to know a similar there where marketing or product marketing or whoever is wearing that hat of, hey, how do we connect the value of the product we're building to the needs that exist in the market? making sure that that perspective is there from the beginning, I think can be really impactful. But tell us a little bit more about your experience with that and how important you think it was to getting you to where you are now. Yeah. So even though a lot of my marketing experience before Yonder was at big organizations, I say bigger organizations like Monzo and Wise, a lot of the products that I was working on there were actually brand new. So it felt really similar to me in terms of you know getting thrown in a room with a product team. So maybe my experience at Monzo is pretty relatable in that you know, they took sort of eight of us and stuck us in a room and during COVID and they said, we need you to launch two subscription products for Monzo. Um, and, you know, in that room, there was sort of like some product people, you know, me, some data people and engineers. And and so the the experience when I joined Yonder actually felt very similar to that, even though at Monzo, that was sort of a much bigger organization. Um, I probably wouldn't have joined Yonder if it wasn't pre-product. I think for me, um, sort of personally, I had seen the value of being a marketer on a product that didn't yet exist and being able to play a role in in sort of, I wouldn't say like 
massively moving a product either way, but nudging it in, in the directions that you think will be better suited for your audience or, you know, um, for the product to go. So yeah, look, I mean, I, I'm not going to, um, sit here and, and say that, you know, I'm a marketing genius and joining, you know, before the product launch was, um, vital for Yonder success, uh, because I think that, um, we had probably had a lot of success because of a lot of the factors around me, um, in that. So like Tim, our CEO has always been very, um, I think he's brilliant and for a lot of reasons, but the, the one I'll probably highlight, I think is he, he knows his strengths and weaknesses really well. And one of those was, you know, he had a great team of founders, but they didn't have anyone that understood anything about marketing. Um, I don't think they'll be upset me saying that here now. And, um, so they knew that they needed someone with a sort of a different mindset to come into the team early on. Um, and then we also just had a lot of time, which I think was also really nice in that we couldn't launch as a credit company until we were FCA um, approved. And that process takes sort of typically 12 months. We, we got ours done in, in nine months, um, but it meant that we had a lot of time to really work through how we wanted to launch this product, how we wanted it to look and feel, what we wanted the proposition to be. Um, and we did so with a really small team, which meant we could do it really quickly. So for a lot of reasons, you know, uh, I think being a marketer early on is incredibly helpful. That's not to say that um, if you join a team, you know, a, a product after it's launched, you can't be impactful. I think that is absolutely not the case. And um, I think if you join a company that thinks marketing is just something that is like dropped on uh, once a product is live, I would probably see that as a huge opportunity to show the value of marketing rather than seeing it as a, you know, like maybe like a, a, a challenge for you. Um, because if you can really get marketing um, sort of like integrated into that product development process um, and into, you know, how these decisions are made as a business, then um, everyone will be better off. The business will be better off. Your customers will be better off. The products will be better. Uh, and so, yeah, I think in general, um, you know, you can have success whether you're joining pre-product or post-product. And I'd add one to that list. I think your career will be better off as well. I think getting more experience and exposure to the product side of things, if you're looking for a career in marketing, particularly within tech tech businesses, I think that that is a good investment to make in addition to the benefits that it can have to the business that you're working in now. So let's shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about the topic of community. So you wrote a great, you've written a couple great uh, medium articles and I, and I think a lot of marketers out there really appreciate how you're kind of documenting and sharing your learnings. Definitely going to be sharing this in our AMP group later on. Um, but you wrote an article about how to build a community because obviously you, you know, saw that at Monzo. I'm actually not as aware of whether or not that was part of the strategy or the reality at Wise. Maybe you can touch on that, but certainly um, has been very successful for you at Yonder. So before we get to the how, I actually want to ask you a question because one of, one of my things is I think every, sometimes I think that this topic of community within marketing circles, especially within fintech, because we've seen so many examples of it, can sometimes be a um, solution looking for a problem. It's one of those things where it's like, yeah, what's our community strategy? But actually it needs to be, as with everything marketing, well, what that's a means to an end. What's the end that you're looking to drive with it? And I think a lot of businesses aren't willing or able to actually invest in doing it the right way, which is focusing on adding value to the community, not extracting it, at least not right away. Um, so I guess my first question is, should every business build a community or not? Or what are the, what are the if you have them kind of, what are the conditions that you should be thinking about to understand whether or not building a 
community around your business and brand is right? Yeah, look, I would say that um, I think you made a really good point in there around some people say, let's build a community. And then they don't really know why they want one or if it's useful. They've maybe just seen Monzo or they've seen some other community. And they're like, oh, I want, I want you know, 10,000 people talking about my product on the internet all day. Um, I think, you know, in terms of, of community, it comes down a lot to what does your product do? Um, do people have reasons to be talking about it with other people or with you? Um, do, are they the type of people, is your audience the type of people that sort of are interested in participating in these types of things? Community looks very different in different places as well. So I, I would be cautious to say that, no, you shouldn't do community in you know, if it doesn't work for you, because I think it is a very flexible sort of like part of the a marketing strategy that really broadly is just sort of like you having two-way conversations with your customers and, and sort of them having conversations with each other. And that can look very different. You know, Monzo was an online forum for us. It's a Slack. Um, I think if you get into the, you know, the crypto and gaming worlds, then, you know, that, that happens in, you know, other places as well. And, um, yeah, so for us, you know, I think we made we probably started out with the, the like let's build a community pre-product, and it failed miserably. It was horrible. Um, we we were chucking all of our user research participants into a, a Facebook group. It was dead. We couldn't get anyone to answer or respond to anything. And I remember Ting being like, "Mate, what are you doing? Like, you, you said you'd come and build, you know, build community for us, and like no one, no one's engaging with us." And we sort of like binned it and then we, we went back with a different strategy, which was right around when we launched, it sort of tied in really nicely with, we only really targeted early tech adopters when we launched the product. And then we sort of seeded a community with sort of 50 of our friends and you know, of the team and stuff. And so we, we positioned it as, Hey, why don't you come help us, you know, build Yonder where, you know, you can have, you can chat with the team directly. And we've got now something like nearly a thousand people in there, um, in our, slack um and for us you know it's been really valuable and i think for a lot of reasons again you know i'm i'm cautious not to to claim that we you know we have this genius that sort of helped us work it out a very fortuitous in that we we had a product and circumstances and an audience that actually were really keen to be involved and we had a lot of reasons for people to be talking to us we had a lot of bugs early on so people were keen to report those we have rewards experiences change every month so people are always talking about those things um we have, you know, we were sort of regularly engaging people with different sort of stuff early on. So there were a lot of reasons that I think our community strategy worked well for us, but you cannot force it. Um, and sometimes I get messages from people being like, my CEO wants me to build a community like Yonder's, like, can you help me? And my advice is like, I'm sorry, but I just looking at your product, I don't think that that is the right community strategy for you. And I think that's not what founders or CEOs want to hear sometimes they everyone wants people to be obsessed with their product and to be you know talking about it with their friends but I think you just need to be a bit smarter sometimes with community and think yeah I think you made a good point as well you said maybe wise didn't have much for community strategy and certainly not in the the same um format as Monzo or Yonder but I think what wise did really well is they they built this brand that really felt like it was all of these people against the big banks um, and so the, the wise community, people who were using wise felt like this, this affinity for each other because they're like, oh yeah, we're really taking on this like old archaic financial sector together. And that was sort of a, a brand that permeated through a lot of different regions. And, um, so yeah, again, community can look very different depending on, you know, your product and your audience. 
So I know you obviously wrote about this in your Medium post, and we will link to it in the show notes, but for the people who maybe want the TLDR, uh, could you give us kind of some of the biggest learnings and uh, pieces of advice on how to build a successful community? Sure. Yeah, I think um, off the top of my head, uh, one of the most important things is ask people to join your community at um, the right time. I, I would say that you want to, at a moment of, you know, pure joy or high emotion or excitement for them. For us, the way we do that is when you activate your Yonder card, we then send you an email straight away and we're like, hey, it looks like you got your card. Why don't you come and chat with us and give some feedback to the team or, you know, we do giveaways and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I was actually having a look at that. We've had something like a 70 or 80% click through on that, um, you know, not all of them join the Slack and a lot of them sort of leave and become inactive. And that's definitely a big part of it as well. But people seem to really respond to, that message and I think the timing we got right there. I think another one as well is um, we seeded the community with the type of behavior and conversation early on that we wanted people to then replicate. And so we we had sort of some of our friends and family being like, hey, I found this bug, just wanted to let you know, you know, this. Because I think one thing as well is is on the internet people can become quite rude um and mean and they can often forget that there are people building the products that they're that are working really hard and putting a lot of time and effort into trying to make this work and so um we really wanted to be really clear around the communication that we expected and what we would then give in return to that it's like we will be available to you you know you'll be able to speak to anyone within the company people just dm me or ceo or like random engineers and stuff all the time um but we've also been really clear that like if we start to see behavior in here that we don't think is you know fair to the team, then we'll just kick you out because this is not like we don't owe this to you. Um, we're both bringing hopefully bringing value to each other in this forum. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there has been you know some times where I've had to message people and be like, hey, like I think you could have written that message in a slightly more thoughtful way that didn't upset the person that spent a lot of time trying to make that work for you. Um, and often they're like, yeah, sorry, I was just in a bit of a hurry. You know, I think people realize, um, quickly. So yeah, those are probably some of my, my biggest tips. And then also the biggest piece is probably knowing when to change your strategy, when to turn it off. Um, you, you know, your community strategy won't always be the same. Um, and I think at Monzo, we started to see sort of like coming up against the limits of what like an online forum could do for the product development some of these sort of like feedback cycles that monzo used really effectively early on so yeah your community strategy will change and it's really important that you don't just stick with it for you know just for emotional reasons so let's come back to the topic of creativity and your ability and you know there kind of seems to be this class of brands and i think a lot of it comes down to the talent within those companies and obviously i'm pointing at you but also the culture around them but, you know, you all at Yonder have been able to kind of, you know, month after month, whatever it is, kind of come up with really interesting things. You know, you mentioned the, I don't know if it was, you know, terms and conditions or kind of that manifesto that you had people write, which I didn't even know about. Some of my other favorites are how you became the unofficial sponsor of the queue at Wimbledon. You ran a campaign over the summer to make British people love the rain, which is very funny. Um especially as an expat kind of trying to learn and understand the nuance of British culture. Um, you've, you've bought out of home ads that are strategically positioned next to another big credit card and they're out of home ads. So, you know, how is this sausage made? How are you able to kind of do this consistently? What are the biggest contributing factors? I would say that, um, 
probably one of the biggest things for me is having been given that creative license from Tim, um, CEO. Like I think he is so on board with us being really creative. He's not obsessed. You know, I've worked in organizations where there's this obsession with marketing measurement and if you can't measure something effectively, then it doesn't get done. And there is definitely a role for that type of you know approach in different parts of your marketing strategy, but I actually find it to be quite restrictive and um, in, in other elements. And so I think having that blessing has given me a lot of room to really push our, you know, the, the team internally or push myself, push agencies to have a lot of fun with it because, you know, in terms of the way we approach our marketing strategy, we, you know, we do all the things that maybe typical marketing teams do, but then we just have a budget for, um, you know, sort of like campaigns that we just want to push live. And I'm really trying to set the culture within the team at Yonder. I was like, I want to do one of these every month. I want to, you know, I, I want us to come up with something interesting that gets people WhatsApping it to their friends. And the biggest thing is not being obsessed with if connecting the dots between like Yonder's product and the campaign, because I think that can also be quite restrictive as well. You're like, oh, well, you know, if we're, we're a food delivery app, we can't do this because it doesn't make people want to order more food. And so I'm like, well, as long as we're, there's sort of a very loose connection, you know, for the Make It Rain campaign, the whole thing was, you know, the summer letters down again. Uh, and so Yonder's going to swoop in and save the day. So every time it rains, we're going to give away free stuff. And so we're, what we really wanted to do is associate, you know, people to associate Yonder with being fun um, and rewarding people with like things in the, like in their day to day, which if you really do want to draw a connection to Yonder is pretty closely drawn to like what our product does anyway. So without having to spell it out. So yeah, the, the, the stunts and stuff are, you know, a really enjoyable part of what we do. Um, we can do those things because I think we've been good at getting other parts of our marketing strategy working really well. And this is complementary to that. This is not the only way that we grow our business. Uh, if it was, then I, you know, I would say that it's probably not the right approach, but, um, yeah, in terms of the, you know, the, the creativity part of it, like it is just a lot of throwing ideas out. It's like ch trying to tap into the zeitgeist and picking a moment that we think people will relate to. The one was the rain, you know, it rained a lot in August and sort of later July and people were like, oh, man, I really missed out on, really missed out on my summer here. And we thought, okay, there's something in that. And um, with Wimbledon as well, it's, it's the whole point of, you know, sponsoring the queue was that you can buy tickets to Wimbledon if you... Um, you know, really wealthy and you want to just buy them. But, you know, Yonder is not a product for those people. We are, we're a product for the, the average Londoner. And, and so we jumped in the queue with everyone else and, and brought, you know, croissants and, and all these things along. So um, there, there will be, you know, some elements of consistency through these campaigns, which is Yonder should always consistently come across as being, you know, just an enjoyable brand to engage with whether you're a customer or not um, and we should always be sort of rewarding people in some aspect and I think we're going to try and you know we're going to try and do this every month for as long as we can so funny that you said the hey I try to get the team to do one of these every month because that was exactly my approach when I was at 11FS and as you heard because we were talking with Viren before we pressed record we're doing that here at Rival though it's much harder when you don't have a budget um, but you know I used to talk about it at 11FS as 11FS did a thing ideas and actually setting an OKR with the media marketing team about having one of those. I think it was every month. It might've been once a quarter, but the idea there was, again, it's not tied to lead generation. It's not tied to revenue. A lot of things were, but this purposefully wasn't. 
it was about, can we do things that show up in the industry in a way where for 11FS, it was financial service professionals. That was our audience for Rival. Of course, it's marketing professionals where marketing professionals say to each other, or like you said, WhatsApp each other to say, hey, did you see that thing that 11FS, that Rival did? And, um, you know, I think like creativity, because it's the, you know, connection of things that haven't been connected before. Inherently, it's as much, if not more art than science. But I think the culture of top down from the CEO and then you to your team, giving people the permission and priority of, hey, this is an important thing for us. That's a huge part of what gets it done. I know everybody's always looking for the, is it a 70-20-10 framework? What's the meeting I need to schedule every week? The tactic, but the cultural shift of, I want you to do this, to tell people it's a priority, but also give them permission. I had a call, I think it was last week with the CEO of a you know, pretty big technology company in the FS space. And his question was, how do I, how do we do more kind of stunty guerrilla type campaigns? And we talked for a while, but my biggest thing was like, have you made that a priority for the marketing team? Because like, you're the CEO. If you tell people that's what you want, chances are they're going to come up with a lot more and probably pretty good ideas. And the other thing is, especially marketing people, but even people in other disciplines, they like to be creative. You know, it can be one of the perks and one of the best parts of whatever's happening that month just to let people brainstorm that stuff. And even if some of it doesn't come to life, I do think there's a positive cultural impact as well. Oh, without a doubt. And I think one of the biggest things I've tried to shelter the rest of the marketing team from, so we've got three others in the marketing team, one sort of like general associate and, and she works on a bunch of different bits and pieces. We've got a PR and comms lead and then we've got a content lead and i think one thing i've tried to shelter from is is having to feel like they have to drive growth for the business and they have to directly their work has to you know be you know draw a line to new members signing up for yonder um obviously that this needs to work you know bigger you know if you zoom out as a business it has to work but that's really on me and and not on them and so i think hopefully what that can do is give them a lot more space to be creative and just do things that people will enjoy and ultimately like I think people forget the whole purpose of sort of like, you know, creativity and, and what actually works in life is like people just will engage with the things that they enjoy and that they find funny or that they, and so that sort of has been the premise for us is, look, you know, we, we want to drive, you know, newsletter subscribers and, and, and actually we saw probably a couple of our biggest weeks of growth ever during this campaign. So to say that it doesn't drive growth, I think as well is also a bit short-sighted, but um, the goal is, you know, I think actually maybe a good example of this is Emily who runs our PR, you know, for this campaign, the one, the make it rain campaign was, was her idea and, um, with Lois and our content team and they come up with it. We didn't actually generate a lot of PR from this. And I think coming out of it, she was like, oh, you know, it's a bit of a shame that it didn't quite skew PR. And I was like, yeah, but like this campaign was successful for a dozen other reasons for us. And so I think, um, also really important to, to take the pressure off of, you know, your team to only want to meet the KPI that they think that they're responsible for in their role and to actually, you know, build campaigns that will will make the whole company more successful and the marketing more successful rather than like, I should only do a campaign that works for PR or only works for our organic social or whatever that might be. I was just thinking, there is no way that this is happening at Amex or Chase or any of those kind of big incumbents in your space or really a lot of the financial services and probably other categories as well. And you know, for us, and, you know, I feel so lucky to be able to do this, like these conversations as part of my job, 
But I think one of the benefits that we have is like, we kind of sit on both, we sit on the fence in the industry between kind of the challengers and the startups and scale-ups like you. And then, you know, we did have MasterCard on the CMO MasterCard on the podcast as well. And just the contrast um, is fascinating. And I think there's something that people can learn from each other. So uh, Tom, I know we're almost up on time. Let's do a quick lightning round. So quick, you know, fast, quick turn answers on these. Um, what was the first marketing job you ever had? Um, I think if I, if I really think about it, my, my, uh, my dad used to run, or he still runs a newspaper store in my hometown in Crookwell, uh, in Australia. And, uh, once upon a time with a couple of friends of mine, we had to go and deliver a flyer to every single home in my town to sort of like, you know, 1500, 2000 people. It took us a whole week. We did it after work every day. Uh, probably my first ever foray into marketing, if I really think about it. Uh, it was brutal. It took us so long to do it. We had to put this envelope through every single person's house. Um, so yeah, that was probably where it all began. So you started, started in direct mail. In direct mail. Yeah, exactly. Um, what's the best piece of career advice you've ever received? I got some advice, um, a few years ago to, um, in meetings to be the last person to speak. Um, and I, I, I give this advice to a lot of people and obviously not everyone can be last to speak in a meeting, but, um, it's particularly useful for people who are, I would say excited is maybe the way to describe them and, and are really keen to get their ideas out first. Uh, if you are the last person to speak, you'll give everyone else in the room more opportunity to speak. Uh, and then also more strategically, if you're the last person to speak then you have the most information before you can give your opinion. So I think it's really important that you can give you know, quiet to people, more opportunity, more space to speak up. Um, but, you know, if you want to look at that through a more selfish lens and, you know, maybe it's like similar to playing poker, if you're the last person to to play your hand, then you actually have the better odds and you have the most information. So I think it's a really useful piece of advice that will work in any industry, in any role, really. Love that. What's the best brand campaign you've seen recently? I've seen a few um, on the sort of tube and, and about... Um, Flora is doing one at the moment with sort of like skipping the cow, which is quite clever. Um, there's a Heyman's gin. I think it was, we're doing some stuff around gin. Well, I really like these brands that, um, actually are very confident about their product and they're very openly, uh, you know, sort of, I saw a bus stop the other day and I don't remember the ad, but it said like, you know, there's not an award for this sector, but if there was, we'd win it. And I just really sort of like am drawn to that kind of confidence in products where I'm like, you know what, like if you really think it's that good, then. Uh, maybe I'll give it a go. So yeah, any of those sort of like challenger positions, I'm just really drawn to obviously, you know, sort of like it fits well with a lot of the stuff we've been trying to do with Yondo as well. Yeah, it's fascinating. You never hear the word confident thrown around when you talk about brands, but it's so true. What is one marketing tool that you can't live without? Oh, mate, you know, I was thinking, I was trying to come up with like something clever or or some AI tool. But honestly, I think one of the best things that we have done um, with Yonder is is setting up Braze and using that as a tool that um, it has genuinely changed the way that we do marketing and and was a huge problem when I was at Monzo and Wise. We never really got our CRM stuff set up properly, and we committed early on to doing this long before we needed it. And I'm so 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 thankful we are. It's given us a crazy amount of flexibility with the way we want to speak to customers. It ties in so nicely with everything else that we're doing and all the different systems we have. Very boring answer, admittedly, but um, we would be lost without it. Um, so if you, yeah, yeah, it's such a great tool. 
No, I mean, not not boring for, I guess, a marketing nerd like me. We're actually bringing them in on one of our clients and working on kind of the partnership program over there. So, you know, I think some of that stuff, maybe not as sexy as kind of the, you know, the two bads and the guerrilla activations, but man, so important, like the foundation, oh the bedrock yeah. Yeah. for modern marketing. Yeah, genuinely. Um, lastly, what is one thing people should do differently after listening to this episode? Uh, gosh, I mean... Obviously, it just depends on so many different things around a business. Uh, I think, look, if you're a, um, if you're a, a founder and you're listening to this and um, you know giving your marketers room to be creative, I think is a really important you know um, learning and something that I think Tim has just done so so well in terms of empowering the whole organization, uh, the whole marketing org at Yonder. Um, if you're a marketer, I would say. Um, you know, don't be shy about getting very early stage into products. And um, there's a huge opportunity there that you can f- put your fingerprint on a product that can can hopefully grow into something very successful. So, yeah, look, there's probably, you know, something in here maybe for depending on the different stage you're at as business, hopefully something useful. Tom, thanks so much. This has been great. Yeah, thanks so much, Eric. You may love the podcast. Keep it up. Cheers. Scratch is a production of Rival. We are a marketing innovation consultancy that helps businesses develop strategies and capabilities to grow faster. If you want to learn more about us, check out wearerival.com. If you want to connect with me, email me at eric at wearerival.com or find me on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe, share with anyone you think might enjoy it, and please do leave us a review. Thanks for listening and see you next week.